I don't know how many of you know about the story of my going to seminary and then ultimately coming here. But it was through a friend. It's through a friend who spoke the right thing to me. The man's name was Glenn Egley. Glenn was a Mennonite pastor. And he loved me. I don't know why he loved me. Because I came into his office. It was through Young Life Ministries. He had an office up in Tacoma, right next to, right as a part of Young Life Ministry, and he had a counseling ministry there. And he looked, I remember coming into his office, and he just kind of had this smirk on his face, like, who's this guy who thinks he knows it all? Because I thought I knew a lot of things. And uh, learned something about friendship there. Friend, friends, friendship is, uh, true friendship is patient. He waited on me to, uh, to discover him. This is a man who, um, you came into his office, and right in front of him was the Greek New Testament, because that's the way he read the New Testament, was in the Greek. And I came into his office, and um, we had various disagreements. Not huge, but they were significant. They were, well, they were kind of big, because he was a Mennonite, and I came out of a Reformed Calvinist tradition, and uh, he said, look, uh, you know, God has given you the freedom to choose. And I said, well, sort of. Sort of given me the freedom to choose. But in reality, that, that, that idea of choosing is kind of an illusion because he's already put it within me to make that choice. And Glenn just smirked at me. And he said, well, it, you might have something to learn. Well, he didn't push it on me. He didn't like push his Arminianism on me, if you know what that means, about the freedom of the will. But you know what he did? He said, come back next week. And come back next week. And come back next week. And come back next week. We developed a friendship. Just over time that friendships develop. It's over time that people change. You can't force friendship, and you can't force change. And so I came back to him, and, it, and after about a year, of, uh, he saw in me something that he doesn't see in a lot of people. He said, you know, um, said, Paul, uh, you, you need to go to seminary. And actually, Christy was very involved in this. He said, you need to go to seminary. And, and I was like, really? And he goes, yeah, you need to go to seminary. God has a call on you pastor well it was through Glenn that I got on an airplane that I was not supposed to go on Glenn told me that well it's a long conversation but basically I said uh, I said I'll go to seminary in my time and Glenn said how about uh, how about next week his son was a uh, airline pilot for Continental Airlines and uh, he said look I've got these tickets I want you to go visit Asbury Seminary. You've already told me you're not going to go to Fuller because Chrissy didn't want to go to Fuller, right? And, and, uh, and let's go check out Asbury Seminary because I have a good friend in the PhD program there and I want you to take a look at it. 
I said, okay, okay, in my time. He said, but I got tickets in a week, and it's not going to cost me anything to take you to, to, uh, to that school to check it out. Well, I had done some groundwork because when this started happening, I, I made phone calls, and I was trying to line up housing, and I couldn't get housing. Chrissy wouldn't go to the seminary without the housing uh, on campus and this kind of thing. She wanted to be a part of it because she knew friendships were important, relationships are important, community matters. And so Glenn, uh, well, anyway, I met Glenn at the airport, and I'd done all this groundwork in terms of housing and so forth and getting my application in because I got my application in, but not everyone had gotten their, their uh, references in. There was, I was missing one reference by the time I actually got to the seminary. Anyway, I visited the seminary, but the way it came, came about was that I, I was leaving on, on a uh, Thursday night out of SeaTac Airport, and I didn't... I mean, I just assumed I was going to get on the plane, but when I came, came there, he, he was on, a, what do you call it, um, standby. It was a standby situation back then. And, I, and I was the, Glenn and I were the 19th and 20th person on the, on the standby list, which meant that we weren't getting on the plane. So when I showed up at that airport, Glenn said to me, I'm sorry. He said, hey, he called me Delashaw. He said, hey, Delashaw, I'm sorry. Uh, you're not getting on the plane. We're not getting on the plane. It would take a miracle for us to go to the plane. I've done this many, many times, and we're number 19 and 20 on the standby list. It's just not going to happen. Well, we were the last two on the plane. And then, in, in what we had to take a stop in Houston before we went to Louisville, because we went to seminary in Kentucky. So we made a stop in Houston, and we had the exact same situation. We were 20th on the list to get on the plane. And Glenn said, well, I've got my, my, my son lives in, in Houston, and we can stay overnight. And, uh, and then we can fly back to, uh, uh, to Seattle because of the fact that uh, the seminary was going to be closed on, on the weekend. So um, it's just the way it was. Of course, we were the last two to get on that plane. Right? Um, then we got to seminary, and we pulled into, we'd rented a car in Louisville and drove to Lexington. Wilmore's right outside of Lexington where the seminary is. And at the seminary, um, well, we got there at 3, right around 3.15, 3.15, 3.30. Went to the admissions office, and Glenn, Glenn, see, they weren't going to let me in because all my admissions materials weren't, weren't in. I was doing this pretty quickly. I was looking for a reference. And Glenn says to the admissions office, you can let this in, let them in. And, they, and the admissions office said, we cannot let them in until everything's done. We can't let them in. See, orientation was... In six days. Can't let him in. And Glenn, being my friend, fought for me. He fought for me. I'll never forget him standing there talking to the dean of the mission saying, yes, you will. Yes, you will. You will let him in. And the dean of the mission said, no, I won't. It has to be approved by the board and so forth. And he said, you will let him in provisionally. Well, I got in. I got in, but I couldn't get in until this happened, until this one thing happened, because the, uh, the, um, the admission says, okay, I'll let him in provisionally if he, if, if he can get housing. I knew it had to have, ha well, actually, well, that, that, there's a reference that had to come in. There's a reference that had to come in. I'll talk about that in a moment. But this is, a, I hope you get to know me a little bit here today. So, so. So I remember when he said that we'll get in it provisionally if the reference, if some form of a reference gets in in the next hour, 
And he said, do you have housing? I said, I don't have housing. And so the housing office is open for about another 45 minutes. And so I had to go over to housing, but the housing department already told me that there was no housing at the seminary. And I knew that Christy wouldn't go to the seminary until there was housing. And so when I walked into the housing office, what happened? They said, um, we just got a phone call this morning. Someone is... Um, has let a, let a residence go. Do you want to have a, do you want to have housing on campus? Yeah, so see, God opened the door. And then I came back to the admissions office, and the admissions office said, well, you got to get your reference in. You got about 20 minutes. I said, how am I going to do that? I said, well, there's a phone over there. And so I went and I started making phone calls. So all my friends said I could remember their phone numbers, and I couldn't get any of them to answer. And then I remembered that I had left my day, what do you call it, day timer or whatever, in the car that Chrissy had told me, she said, you take that day timer because you might need it. And I said, no, nah, I don't need that. It's just another thing to carry. And she said, take it. You might need it. I went and I got the day timer, looked up my friend Bill Fellows. Uh, he was at work at Montgomery Securities in San Francisco. He was laughing. He said, you got me to write a, uh, some sort of reference in five minutes? And I said, just say I'm a good guy. <laughs> and I did that. And next thing I know, I was in seminary. But the point of the story is not really is is, is is let you know what friends do. Friends open doors for us. That's what friends do. They care enough so that they're willing to take the time, make the effort, even embarrass themselves at times in order to open a door because they don't care about themselves, they care about their friend. This church needs friendships. The whole church needs friendships everywhere. People need friendships. You all need to be friends. Very popular story, one that you probably, most of you all know. It goes like this. It's told in Matthew, it's told in uh, Luke. Luke 5.17. On one of those days, he was teaching. You know, like to be there. Now, I don't, I don't know what you think about my teaching. It doesn't really matter. How about Jesus' teaching? Would you like to be there? One of those days, he was teaching. It's like, sign me up. I want to know what Jesus has to say. He knew how to talk to people, didn't he? He was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. You see, one of the things about true friends is that they open doors, right? But what do people who are not your friends do? They close doors. Now, sometimes a good friend will close the door because he knows it's better. He knows that you're going in the wrong, wrong, going the wrong direction. But here we have this statement about people who are not really our friends. They will close doors. And they were trying to close the door on Jesus. How would you like to be that person trying to close the door on Jesus? Now, Jesus, I don't want you talking about that here. I would like to be that person. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, and you know what they were doing. They were judging them. You have friends in your life, and some of them are family members. It happens. Who want to block your way. They want to keep you from following Jesus Christ. They would rather that you believed in yourself. You don't need this Jesus. I mean, come on. That's old hat. We're beyond that now. We just need ourselves. Believe in yourself, whatever it would be. People who pretend to be friends, 
family members who pretend to be family members. You got those, right? I mean, absolutely. I, I love my brother dearly. I love him dearly, but I'll never forget when he flew to my, the seminary I went to, to Asbury, at Thanksgiving, and he sat down with me, got me alone in the car, and he started to tell me that I was being irresponsible going into the ministry. That that was the wrong thing to do. Because I had a responsibility to provide for my kids the way that my father provided for me. Well, my dad was a physician. He made a little bit of money. And I was going into the ministry, and I was going to be, well, not so wealthy. How about that? And my brother, I love my brother, and he meant well. That's the thing. He meant well. This is the thing about families. They mean well, but they are not God. They are not God, and, and, and especially young people, you have to listen to Jesus' voice. And sometimes your parents, they're just not capable of telling you what Jesus is saying. Family members can be the worst. Now, now, look, now look, we should remember this. What does Jesus say at the end of the missionary discourse? What did he say? I thought about this yesterday a lot. Yesterday was a, uh, was, a, was, a, was a great service, but I thought about this a lot. Well, Jesus says this. At the end of the missionary discourse in, in Matthew chapter 10, he says this. Do not think I have come to bring peace on earth. Don't think that way. <laughs> There's a sense in which, of course he did. But do not think I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Why do you say that, Jesus? Oh, let me tell you why I say that. And then he starts talking about family. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. People are standing in your way. There are people who do not, people in your family, most likely, maybe you have a perfect family, I did not. But there are people in our families, generally speaking, that are there to block the way of God in your life. There are people in my life right now that are waiting to, to block me from doing what God's call is. In fact, I'll just say this. It could be that even this church could block the call of God in my life. It's possible. I'm not saying it is. But we have to be careful because it's all about God's voice. It's not about... My agenda, it's not about your agenda, it's about God's agenda, God's voice for us. And we have to be able to listen to Him and, and, and say yes to Him. And woe to the man or woman who gets in the way of the voice of Jesus Christ, the call of God in someone's life. Woe to that person. You don't want to be that person. Don't think that I've come to bring peace, I've come to bring a sword. Well, back in the story here, this great story. In Luke chapter 5. On one of those days he was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Let me tell you something. The power of God is with us today to heal. Say that again. The power of God is with us today to heal. Some of you need to be healed. A prayer meeting the other night, the question was raised. Are you guys going to do healing services? Do you do healing services? I don't have any oil up here, but I have the Holy Spirit. 
Some of you need to be healed. And there are people in this room right now who wouldn't even dare to come up because you know what? Someone, or at least it's perceived in someone's mind, that other people would rather would block your way to come up to be healed. If Jesus was here physically, would you let people get in the way? Let me show you what true friends of yours would do for you. It's in the story, right? It's in the story. What happens? I'll continue in the story. And behold, some men were... Verse 18. And behold, some men were, uh, were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. This is what friends do. Friends lay friends before Jesus Christ. That's what they do. They don't block the way of Jesus. They encourage them to come to Jesus. You think Jesus is calling you to, to be a missionary in, in, in Africa, a missionary in, in, in the East, a missionary on our college campuses, a missionary, I don't know where it is. You think God's calling you to that place? Then you need to listen to God's voice. And we need to open the door. Open it so that we can go. We have so little time on earth and so much ministry to do. We need to listen to Jesus. Friends encourage friends to come to Jesus and lay their hurts, their problems, their calls before him and let Jesus have his way in their lives. And behold, some men were bringing uh, on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him and lamb before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. You know what friends do? They break open the barriers. I'll never forget, when I was, when I was in college, I had the privilege of being able to be in, uh, in Berlin for a season. West Berlin, with the wall. It was a major barrier. And there were families on both sides. And I had the privilege sometimes to go underneath the wall on the subway. There's a certain place, a place called Checkpoint Charlie, you can just go right through. And there are other places that you just go underneath their subway system. And you come out on the other side. I was able to go, but on both sides. And I remember talking to East Germans, and they would say things like, you know, we still have family over there. And there are West Germans who would say, you know, we still have family over there. It's amazing to me that in 1989, that wall started coming down. Just incredible pictures. People taking huge chisels and hammers and breaking that wall apart. Friends break walls for their friends. They open the door. See why it's so important that you have friends here? I mean, this, it's, this is not just this casual thing where it's like, well, you know, you know, God will give me a friend and it'll make my heart feel good and so forth. No, no, no. Actually, you need friendships really badly because you need friends to open doors for you, especially when Jesus is calling on, has a calling on your life. Or when you need healing, you need friends to pray for you. Because for some reason, I don't exactly know why, but for some reason, God has allowed friends to be the means by which people get healed. It's not always a friend, but it often is a friend. 
one who loves you. And when they saw their faith, isn't that amazing? When he saw their faith, it wasn't even that when he saw the faith of the man who was on the, on the bed. When he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. The biggest door, the widest gate for God to come into someone's life is presented to us right there. Because his friends brought him to Jesus and even opened the tiles in a roof, and people were probably, guess what? People were probably laughing at them. It's a humorous situation. People were laughing at them probably. The text doesn't tell us that, but they're probably like going, come on, are you kidding me? You want to see this Jesus so bad that you're going to take the tiles off the roof? And so there were people probably in their own way blocking them, but the friends didn't care. And the friends opened, them, opened up the tiles on the roof, they opened up the roof, and they let the man down, and it had to be a comical situation. And, but it didn't remain comical because Jesus said, man, your sins are forgiven. And what did, the, what did the Pharisees and the teachers of the law say? Who on earth can forgive sins but God? You may have sin in your life. There might be something. I mean, listen, we have a church filled with, we're a great church. We have a church filled with problems, filled with issues. And there are some of us who know that we have sin, some of it very serious sin. And the fact is, is that we need friends to open the door, to loosen the tiles to let us be laid before the feet of Jesus so that he can forgive us our sins. We can get healed physically. Some of us have physical things. Many more have emotional problems in this church. We need to be healed of our emotional problems. We have physical things that need to be taken care of. I mean, we don't need to name them, do we? It's so clear that we have that. And we have sins that need to be forgiven need to get cleaned up. And the challenge to you today is to be friends. Because Jesus honors your prayers for one another. Would you be willing to be friends today? Well, what does that look like? Well, I don't know how to do it other than to ask you if you have a need. Whatever it would be, and we're not we don't, want to be, we don't want to be walls, right? We don't want to be barriers. We don't want to block people from this, right? But if you have a need that you want to be healed from, maybe, you, maybe it's a desire to hear the voice of God because God is a call in your life. Maybe it's, maybe it's an emotional grievance, an emotional problem. You're just really having a tough time. By the way, I'm one of those. I'm having a hard time emotionally today. It'll pass. But I appreciate your prayers. Maybe it's a physical healing that you need. I'm going to ask you, and this is, this is ministry, of the, ministry of Jesus Christ in the midst of the church. I'm going to ask you to come to the altar rail. We haven't even talked about communion yet. We'll have communion in a little while. But this is a time for us to love each other, to be friends, to care for each other, to fully embrace each other. I love you. Jesus loves you so much.
would you come and just be together today? There is no better time to come to the Lord than when we come to be with the Lord already and come to be with each other. I know for those of you who are part of Kenny's family that there is great sorrow, but I'll say once again that there is uh, a great amount to rejoice in that he's with the, with the Lord. Uh, be healed. Let God touch you today. Uh, and so he's here. The Lord is here among us. He's our great physician, the one who heals us, heals our hearts. May you know that today. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, you remember, he took bread and he broke it. And this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat of it, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner after supper, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. As often as you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me.